0: Actually, recently, I've been thinking about my job as the pastor of uh, your church, pastor here. Specifically, my job, I mean, I have other jobs, but specifically my job on Sunday morning. And as I thought and I prayed about this, uh, sort of this picture came in, into my mind. It was a simple picture. Uh, we just sang about the picture. It was a picture of the cross, and it was a picture of myself uh, pointing to the cross and I realize that my job is actually a simple one, that my purpose on, on Sunday morning specifically and, and maybe throughout the week also is to point you over and over again to Christ, to help you see the glory and the majesty, the beauty of Christ revealed in the Word of God, to help you grow in love with Christ. You know, if at the end of every Sunday morning you're just a little bit more in love with Jesus... I've done my job, to help you experience gratitude and joy and satisfaction in Christ. That's what, that's what I want to do one way or another every week, every Sunday morning. And sometimes, like today, uh, the passage of Scripture that we uh, get into is specifically designed for that purpose. I think all of God's Word is designed for that purpose, but sometimes it just shouts out at us to show us the greatness of Christ. So so I share this just to let you know that I'm really excited about uh, what we're about to look at today, and it's my prayer that God will use uh, my preaching of His Word to point you to Christ. So if you turn in your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter 5, continuing our series through the book, book of Romans. Last week, we looked at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 5, where Paul explained And this was more difficult to see the greatness of Christ because the focus last week was on Adam. Adam's impact on humanity. Remember verse 12, he wrote, Therefore, just as one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. One man, Adam, introduced sin into the world. His sin brought death, and death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. That's what we saw last week. Adam's sin is is credited to all. And at this point, you might ask a question. Uh, If you read the emails I send out, mostly every week, uh, then you know what question I'm going to ask. Why did a holy... So we've got this situation, Adam's sin, the sin is is credited to the, the whole... Humanity, to all of Adam's descendants. And so the question why did a holy, sinless, perfect God, who knows all things, past, present, and future, create people, specifically Adam and Eve, who he knew would, could, and would sin? And not only would they sin, but they would parent billions of people who would follow in their sinful footsteps. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God create people who could and did sin? If God knew this was going to happen, why did he create Adam in the first place? Or or why did he even put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Now, when we get to verse 17 this morning, we'll see, at least in part, I mean, this isn't like, uh, this is a pretty big question, this is one of those ultimate big questions and we're going to see part of the answer today when we get to 17, but 1st After talking about the results of Adam's sin in verse 12, and then explaining how uh, we all sinned in Adam in verses 13, the beginning of 14, Paul writes at the end of verse 14, Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, who was to come. He says Adam is a type, type, a pattern of Christ, the one who's to come. There's something about Adam that's parallel to, to something about Christ. And last week, we saw what that was. We, we mentioned it. It's not in the text. It's in the text. Uh, actually, it's in the text next week, most of all. But we had to, had to jump to it and see that, that just as many were made unrighteous through one man, Adam, Adam's sin was credited to many, actually to all. So also, this is the parallel, many are made righteous through one man, Christ, Christ's righteousness is credited to many. Actually, to those who trust in Him. So that's how Adam and Christ are similar. But that's where the similarity ends. John Stott commented on on this, wrote, How can the Lord of glory be likened to the man of shame? The Savior to the sinner. The giver of life to the broker of death. The correspondence is not a parallel, but an antithesis. Stott wants to be clear that the difference between Adam and Christ, the differences are much greater than the similarity, as does the Apostle Paul. So after pointing out that they are similar, parallel in some way that he's going to describe and we're going to see next week and we've touched on, he goes on in verses 15 to 17 just to to emphasize how great their difference is. His purpose is to show, to point to Christ, to point to the superiority of Christ, to the superiority of Christ's work over the work of Adam, over the sin of Adam, to show the stark contrast between Adam the sinner and Christ the Savior. And therefore, to, to give us confidence. Out of this will flow confidence, assurance in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for those who trust in him. So in verse 14, Paul begins with an eternal contrast. Again, verse 14, Paul had said Adam is a type of Christ. Pause. In verse 18 and 19, I'm going to tell you more about that. But right now, he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Christ's free gift, and we'll talk more about that, is not like Adam's sin, Adam's trespass. Two words, free gift and trespass, are found in each of the following three, 15, 16, 17. They're found in all three of them. That's, in, in a sense, what Paul is contrasting. And Paul wants to be clear from the start. These two things are not alike. They are night and day. They're positive and negative. They're good and bad. They're, in fact, polar opposites. And so he begins by repeating what he said earlier in verse 12, reminding us that Adam's sin brings eternal death. Verse 15 continues, for if many died through one man's trespass, uh, this describes Adam's work. This is his contribution to humanity. The word trespass is, is another word for sin. It means a deviation from the path, going off the path, a departing from the norm. It carries the idea of going where you should not go, of trespassing. That's what Adam did in the garden. God had placed figuratively, let's say, a no trespassing sign in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the norm, the standard uh, that God had set. But Adam violated that standard. He he crossed the line. He, He hopped the fence, so to speak. He took the forbidden fruit from his wife and he ate it. With one act of disobedience, he trespassed. He sinned. He fell. And the result was both spiritual and physical death for all humanity. And that death is... Was, is, eternal. Paul doesn't specifically use the word eternal, but, but that Greek word for died includes both physical and natural death and, and eternal death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God in hell. And the Bible clearly teaches that those who do not trust in Jesus Christ, that their spiritual and their physical deaths are Eternal. There's no resurrection for them. Eternal separation from God. And so Paul contrasts this, the results of Adam's sin that brought eternal death with Christ's gift that brings eternal life. Romans 5.15 continues. Much more. If you're, if you're doing, reading through your Bible and you want to highlight something that you might not think to, it's that much more. And we're going to focus in on that a little bit. Much more. Have the grace of God and the free gift. By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. This describes Christ's work. Those two words, free gift, are are just one word in the Greek. It's charisma. It's related to the Greek word charis, which means grace. Charisma in the New Testament mainly refers refers to a divine unearned gift. A free gift from God. And in Romans 5.17, Paul will tell us that this free gift is the free gift of righteousness. This refers to the free gift that we've been talking about, justification by faith. Uh, and we're counted righteous, we get, receive the, the righteousness, we're credited with the righteousness of Christ. This is the unearned righteousness of Christ given by God's grace to those who have faith. And in verse 15, Paul says that in Christ... By the grace of God and the grace of Christ, so we got God's grace and Christ's grace both highlighted here, because God sent His Son into the world and Christ willingly went to the cross in our place that much more than the eternal death brought by Adam's sin, we receive the grace of God and the free gift of salvation. We receive eternal life. Now, why does Paul say, say much more? You might think he's, he's just saying, okay, much better, right? Eternal life is much better than eternal death. Everybody agree to that? and That's certainly true, but it's, it's really obvious, right? Or, or you might think he's saying that there, there will be much more or, or many more people who receive eternal life than eternal death. That there will be more people who are saved than who are not saved. But that doesn't really match up with the rest of Scripture. And it doesn't match up with the reality of our world and the people that that die without receiving Christ. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Paul's not talking about much more in quantity So what does he mean by much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? He means much more in the the area of quality. Not quantity, but quality. The quality of God's grace and Christ's gift, Christ's gift by His grace, is much more than the quality of Adam's sin. Christ's free gift of righteousness is far superior to the results of Adam's sin. Because Christ's gift of righteousness, Christ's gift of righteousness overcomes, overshadows, revokes, cancels out Adam's sin that brought unrighteousness. Eternal life in Christ revokes eternal death in Adam. The grace of God in Christ resulting in our eternal life cancels the wrath of God. Eternal death in Adam. And that, my friends, is good news. It's the best news for you and I. It means that no matter what we've done, check this out, no matter where you've trespassed, where you've gone, where you've deviated from this normative path that God has set, no matter how you've sinned in word and deed, that God's grace that God's grace and Christ's righteousness are much more powerful than your sin and my sin. Yes, it's true that Adam's sin was powerful. It brought condemnation to all humanity. You and I were destined for destruction. We were, uh, if you pardon me, on a highway to hell. But much more, through nothing we could do, God intervened. And by His grace, we can receive the free gift of righteousness, leading to salvation and eternal life. The power of of grace in Christ is much greater, far superior to the power of sin in Adam. Paul expands on this truth, really, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He begins with a, a picture of life without Christ. Life in Adam, if you will. And he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Life was actually uh, death. There was no hope. We were destined for wrath, eternal death. But he continues, but god my two favorite words in the bible but god because they signal some dramatic thing that god's going to do but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved you and i because of adam were dead in our trespasses we, we were by nature dead because of Adam's sin, and we prove we were dead because of Adam's sin, because of our sin. But in Christ, by God's grace, we are not only made alive, but we're saved unto eternal life. That's what Paul says in a much more condensed fashion later in chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of, of righteousness. That's what, what we get. We get Christ's righteousness and it leads, it enables us to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ in a much greater way. Much better, much bigger, much more powerful than Adam's one tra- trespass that earned death. The t- trespass earned death for all humanity, but for those who believe, for those who trust the free gift it wipes out the death and it replaces it with eternal life in jesus christ And, and and what that means practically for you and i is that the power of sin which is eternal death can be broken when you give your life to christ you receive his righteousness sin and its power over you is destroyed but the the power of Christ, which is righteousness, salvation, and eternal life, get this, cannot be broken. Paul declared to Timothy, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, abolished death, did away with death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus Christ abolished death, He breaks the power of sin and death in the lives of those who trust in him. That's why Christ's free gift is so much more powerful, better uh, uh, than Adam's trespass. Because sin and death cannot break the power of Jesus Christ. Once, Once you're in Christ, you cannot be returned to Adam. Once you have eternal life, you cannot be returned to eternal death. Death is abolished. The condemnation of of Adam's sin is reversible, but the redemption of Christ is not. The effect of, of Adam can be removed by Christ, but the effect of Christ, however, is permanent for believers and is not subject to reversal or removal. We can have blessed assurance that once we're in Christ, we are in Christ forever. As Paul wrote in in Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just let that sink in. Just let the the superiority of Christ's act and your faith in that, the security it brings In Christ, the righteousness of Christ given in grace and love to those who put their faith in him cannot be removed by anything or anyone. In Adam, we receive only eternal death. In fact, you'll notice as we go through these three contrasts, all Adam's got to offer. It's death versus Christ. Death, death and death. Death can be broken, though. But in Christ, we receive much more. We receive grace and salvation, all leading to eternal life in the presence of God. Eternal life that cannot be revoked, cannot be removed, cannot be replaced, reversed. Christ is far superior. So the first contrast is an eternal one. The second is a legal one. And in in many ways, as we'll see as we go through, these these three contrasts are saying similar things using some different wording. Romans 5.16 begins, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, that, that one man, Adam. Paul repeats what he had, had said in the beginning of verse 15. He says, again, let it be clear, the free gift is not like the sin. We've seen that eternal, uh, the eternal results are, are very different. And now Paul says the immediate legal results are different as well. He begins with the legal results from Adam's sin. He says, Adam's sin brings condemnation. Verse 16 continues, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That word judgment is is a legal term. It refers to the sentence given by a judge. Following his first sin, Adam was judged by God and he was found guilty. His single trespass of eating the forbidden fruit brought about his condemnation. That word condemnation is also a legal term, meaning the, the, the adverse, an adverse or a negative sentence given by a judge. In the courtroom, when someone is judged, uh, uh, is found guilty, they are condemned to a specific sentence. Depending on the crime, it could range from a community service to a time in prison all the way uh, to death. And for Adam, his sentence, his condemnation, was eternal physical and spiritual death. His spiritual death was immediate, and he was sentenced to physical death. And as we saw last week, that condemnation, that, that death penalty was not limited to Adam, but was imputed, it was credited to, to, to us all, to all humanity. The results of Adam's one trespass was devastating. Just how devastating was that one sin? Uh, well, think of it this way I know this is impossible. But, but for the sake of argument, suppose that Adam's one sin of eating the forbidden fruit was the only sin he ever committed. And further suppose that no one who came after him in all of history, including Eve and Cain and Abel and the rest of humanity, including ourselves, ever committed another sin in thought or word or deed. Impossible, but suppose... Even if that were possible and true, the results of Adam's one sin would still mean condemnation for all. That's what Paul's saying. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. The fact that we were all in Adam when he sinned means that because of, that that Adam was our representative, if you will, means that because of this one sin, not only was Adam condemned, but in him all humanity was condemned as well, at that time, that one sin. That's how devastating Adam's one sin was. And so Paul contrasts the fact that Adam's one sin resulted in the the legal condemnation of all with the fact that Christ's gift brings justification. Romans 5.16 continues, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Yes, the results of Adam's one sin were devastating, condemnation for all, but the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. Paul wants us to see just how much greater the free gift is than the one sin. The free gift of Christ's righteousness credited to us uh, brings justification. That word justification, like judgment and and condemnation, is, is another legal term. It means that one is declared right by the law, that one is declared not guilty, So, Paul is saying that the the free gift of Christ overcame the sin of Adam. That condemnation, being declared guilty and sentenced to death, is overcome. It's canceled. It's, It's revoked by justification, being declared not guilty. But there's more. This contrast, there's more to this contrast than this condemnation versus justification. Notice he specifically points out that it was one trespass one sin, that that Adam took that fruit that led to condemnation. But it was after many trespasses that the free gift brought justification. There's a contrast between the, the one sin of Adam that brought condemnation and the many trespasses which Adam and humanity committed but which the free gift overcame, resulting in justification. There's a contrast between the one and the many. What is that? Think about it this way. Even if our previous scenario is true, uh, were true, and, and the only sin ever committed was Adam's one sin in the garden, we would still need a Savior to rescue us from our condemnation. We were condemned in Adam by one sin. And even if even, even if that had been the situation and Jesus had come to save us from the effects of only that one sin, salvation would have still been glorious. And the angels would still rightly have have used their time singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Even if it was just one sin. But But that's not the situation. Adam's one sin did bring condemnation to all from from which Christ alone redeemed us. But Adam's one sin was not the only sin Christ died for. Adam, having having become a sinner, sinned many more times before he died. And he fathered a race of sinners. By Genesis chapter 6, we read, Every intention of the thoughts of his, of, of humanity's heart, was only evil continually. Adam's sins were followed by countless of billions of sins, by countless of billions of sinners. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that human history is a history of fallen, sinful people. Paul in Romans through 32 which we studied a number of weeks ago, summarized it this way. They, people, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give appro- approval to those who practice them. When we think about humanity's terrible wickedness, the evil, when we ponder the devastating effects of human sin and unrighteousness, and when we look at our own hearts and we realize uh, we're part of this sinful world, we've contributed, that we've personally added to the many transgressions that Christ died for, then you can only marvel, I, I think, and, re- and rejoice in the great and powerful sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Commenting on Romans 5, uh, New Testament scholar, Charles Cranfield, wrote, that one single misdeed could be answered by judgment, this is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift, this is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension. To understand the height and the breadth and the depth of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness of God is is truly beyond our comprehension. But thank Thanks be to God. We don't have to fully comprehend it to trust it, to rejoice in it, to worship God for it. What we must understand, what we must trust is this. The free gift of righteousness and salvation and eternal life that Jesus Christ provides by grace is able to overcome our many transgressions. It's able to overcome and forgive all human sin. And therefore, it's able to overcome and forgive you. To forgive your many sins as well. Christ's death on the cross after many sins can change the legal decision of the heavenly court at your trial. He can alter the judgment that you rightly deserve for your sin. He he, he can move those who trust in Him from condemnation, a sentence of eternal death, the justification, the free gift of eternal life. He can provide us with his righteousness. He can change our verdict to not guilty. Christ is far superior. So we've seen an, an eternal and a, a legal contrast, and now, now we come to the final contrast, a, a governmental contrast. Paul's final contrast has to do with who or or what will govern, who or what will rule and reign. He, he begins by saying, Adam's sin means death reigns. Again, all Adam's got is death. Romans 5.17, For if, because of one man's transgression, death reigned through that one man, that word reign means to rule over, to have authority over, to govern. It was used to refer to kings as they, as they rule, his, his authority over his people. And Paul says, because of Adam's sin and through Adam. It's passed through Adam. Death ruled. Death has authority over all. And we've seen this again and again. Sin came into the world through Adam and death through sin. Many died through one man's trespass. And the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, the death sentence. Paul's only and terrible contribution is sin and death. And in this final contrast, we see that in Adam, death reigns. It rules. has authority. In Adam, you must submit to death. You will one day and for all eternity, all eternity be dead. But Paul says, in contrast, Christ's gift means reigning in life. Verse 17. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now what's Paul saying? Well, he's certainly saying that in contrast to the reign of death brought on by Adam, by grace, those who receive the free gift of righteousness, those who trust in Jesus Christ, will indeed uh, receive eternal life. They will be given eternal life. Life will reign. But he's really already said that. So, the, so there's probably something else here that we need to see. In fact, he says there's much more. Notice that Paul doesn't say in contrast to death reigned through Adam, that life reigned through Christ. That's not what he says. Instead, he says those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Either death reigns or we're going to reign. Those who receive the grace and the free gift. We're going to reign through Jesus Christ. Now this is, where, uh, this is where we begin to see why God created those who could sin and did sin. We need to see that the work of Christ in dying for us did not just restore us to the position which Adam stood before the fall, to where life reigned. So that was, the, that was when Adam, before the fall, life reigned. You could say it, life reigned. There was no death. But rather, in Christ, we're taken beyond that, where we reign in life. It's not just that we are forgiven and given eternal life, it's much more. More than being forgiven, and and you think, how could it be much more than that? Well, listen. Much more than being forgiven, we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hold on here. His righteousness is credited to us. And yes... We are saved and we're given eternal life, which is certainly much better than being sentenced to and receiving eternal death. But the fact that we are given the righteousness of Christ is much more than that. Think about it this way. Uh, Unfallen Adam, Adam before the sin, Adam before he ate the forbidden fruit, before he trespassed, uh, we could say, and it would be true, he was righteous. Adam was a righteous man before the fall. But it was... His own righteousness he had. His righteousness as a created being. It was the righteousness of a man. Adam never had the righteousness of Christ credited to him. What Adam lost in the fall was his own righteousness. But for those who trust in Christ, we're not merely given back our, our human righteousness or any human righteousness. The righteousness that Adam had before the fall, we're given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We receive This abundance of grace, it's overflowing. And the the gift of His divine righteousness, we are given divine righteousness. And because of this, we're in a different, and we're in a better place than Adam was even before the fall. We reign in life. If Adam had never sinned, he would have been righteous with a human righteousness. But his righteousness would not have been secure, Because he could, at any moment, have sinned and lost his righteousness. By its very nature, human righteousness has to be. Has to be in a place of vulnerability. In a place where it can be lost. This is not true of divine righteousness. Because even if and when we sin, Christ's righteousness remains. Because Christ never sinned. Get this, uh, and we did not receive, you did not receive. If you've received the righteousness of Christ, you did not receive it because of anything you did. You did not receive it because you were sinless. We received it by grace, through faith. And therefore, we will not lose his righteousness when we sin. It's not vulnerable. It can't be lost. Now, as we've said before, this is true. Uh, the fact that this is true does not give us license to be unrighteous. License to sin. Paul's going to deal with that in chapter 6. We're almost there. It does not mean that we shouldn't seek to live righteously. In fact, part of what that phrase, to reign in life, means is that, is that we can, in this life, have victory over sin. It means that by the grace of God, that the work of Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit... We can reign in this life. We can have victory now. To reign in this life means that sin needs not be our master. And it also means that we reign for all eternity. The Bible teaches that those who receive the righteousness of Christ will reign and rule with Christ throughout all eternity. This is the payoff. This is the, the awesomeness of this, this whole thing. Paul wrote to Timothy, the, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. I don't know everything of, of what that means, that we will reign with Christ, but I know it's going to be something big. And this would not be the case for unfallen Adam. Adam was given dominion and rule and reign on this earth. But those who, who've been given uh, the divine righteousness of Christ will rule with Him in His eternal heavenly kingdom. If we view heaven as something like, like a paradise here on earth, if, it, if it's pictured like the Garden of Eden, then we are wrong. Heaven is, is much more. So I hope you better understand why God, God created those who could and would sin that we receive divine righteousness and therefore become something greater than unfallen Adam and therefore our eternal uh, reward is secure. That we will reign with Christ throughout all eternity. But, but most of all, it's my prayer that today we've come to understand the, just the vast su- superiority of Christ. His superiority over Adam. His superiority over all. How Christ reverses and replaces and revokes the results of Adam's one sin. How if you trust in Christ, He destroys eternal death and condemnation and the reign of death in your life. How if you trust in Christ, He freely gives you His righteousness leading to a eternal life, His divine righteousness leading to eternal life and justification. And, and yes, your ability to reign with Him throughout all eternity, having victory over sin in this life, reigning with Christ in His heavenly kingdom. And so today, as, as we've been pointed, I pray to the vast su- superiority of Christ and His work on our behalf, I would, I would call us, I would just challenge us, exhort us, encourage us to live to worship and honor and glorify this, this Christ who came for us, who died for us, who is far superior than all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that we would see it. We would see just how awesome you are. How awesome you are in, in creating. How you knew from the beginning and, and and you had a plan and you worked your plan through Christ, Lord. I pray that we would, on a daily basis, as we wake in the morning, realize your, your greatness and your superiority and that we would seek to to glorify and honor Your name as we as we walk, as we as we work, as we encounter people, Lord, we would glorify and honor You for all You've done. Lord, it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.